And we're continuing in this series today as we look at Caleb's life. Now, we're going to end this series up in a, in a few weeks, but we're going to end up looking at the life of David. And so, as you know, if you've been with us for this series, you know that, that pretty much we've just taken one weekend for one person, except for Moses. We, he took two weekends. Uh, but other than that, we've just done a thumbnail sketch over the weekends of, a, of an individual. But with David, we're going to spend five weeks on David's life. And we're going to look at David's life of how to overcome uh, giants in your life, how to deal with temptation in your life, what is a true biblical confession, um, uh, how to deal with a prodigal. Uh, how to deal with difficulty in your life. And so all of those are going to come out of David's life, and we'll finish that series up together. But today, we're going to look at, at Caleb. Now, Caleb's story is found in Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua 14 this morning and Numbers chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles or any electronic devices, you can go ahead and turn there. But while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Caleb's story. Now, you'll remember we went through Joshua's story, and so jo- Caleb was with Joshua when they went in to, to spy on the land and the promised land. So Moses had, had led the children of Israel. He led them all the way up to the promised land. God told Moses to take one man from each tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes of Israel. Send them into the land and not decide whether they should take the land or not because God had already promised it to them. God had already told them to take the land. But go into the land and develop a plan. Go into the land and spy on the land, develop a plan on how was the best way to take it. And so uh, Joshua and Caleb were part of the twelve. And so Joshua and Caleb go into the land. And so you know this, and you probably remember this from when we look at Joshua's life. So the ten focused on something totally different than what Joshua and Caleb focused on. fact is, the ten focused on some things that a lot of times we focus on in life and the reason that we have so much discouragement or sometimes so much fear in life. See, the ten went into the land, and they didn't focus on the land. And they didn't focus on the promises that God had given them. You know what they focused on? They focused on the giants. They focused on the circumstances. They focused on the situations in life. See, they were focusing on all their problems or all their fears. But Joshua and Caleb, totally different. See, Joshua and Caleb followed followed God at a totally different level. And Joshua and Caleb, they focused on, yeah, they saw the giants, but their focus wasn't the giants at all. The focus was the land. The focus was the promise that God had given them. So the 12 come out. The 10 give a bad report. The ten who were focused on the giants, you know that group of people that are always telling you why it can't be done? That group of people that are always telling you why you're going to fail? That group of people that are telling you that if you trust God and you do that, it will just like never work out? Well, that was the ten. And so the ten come out and they give a bad report. And they say, you know what, there's giants in the land. If we go in the land, the giants will overtake us. The giants will destroy us. Jacob, uh, Jacob, Joshua and Caleb came out. And Joshua and Caleb says... Yeah, there are giants in the, fan use, in, in the land. See, let me tell you something. Faith is this. Faith is not some Pollyanna faith. Faith is not some... F- faith is not something to where you ignore the facts. I mean, you've been around Christians, right? That faith to them is kind of ignoring the facts and ignoring all of that stuff. You know what? That's not what faith is. Faith isn't some Pollyanna faith that it's just all going to work out. Faith isn't like stuffing the facts. Faith isn't like ignoring the facts. Faith isn't like even thinking about the facts. Faith is this. Faith is recognizing the giants. Faith is recognizing the facts. Faith is recognizing the circumstances, but being willing to trust God over your giants. Be willing to trust God over your circumstances. See, that's what faith is. Faith is not ignoring that there's not any challenges. Faith is coming to the place to where you trust 
You just trust God and you trust his word more than anything you face in life. See, that was Joshua and Caleb. And so, but the people decided to trust the majority, right? The people, the children of Israel, when they came out and gave the report, they decided to trust the ten. They decided to trust the ten over Joshua and Caleb. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> really wasn't that they trusted them over Joshua and Caleb. You know what it really was? They decided to trust the ten instead of God. They decided to trust their circumstances and their situation. You know what this tells me? Just a huge biblical principle that runs all the way through Scripture. There is a cost to disobedience. There is a cost in life to not trusting Him with your life. There is a cost to Him, or there is a cost to you, by not taking His Word and applying it to your dating relationships, applying it to your marriage, applying it to your, 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 your income, uh, applying it to your resources, applying it to your talents, applying it to your life, there is a cost. I'm just telling you. There is a cost that comes when we don't trust Him. And so Joshua is now like the leader. It's been 45 years since they were there. And Joshua is about ready to lead the, lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Caleb is right with him. And Caleb is 85 years old. Caleb's a hero of mine. One of the desires that I have in my life is, is to finish life well. Just finish my ministry well, finish it strong, finish my life well. See, Caleb was one of those guys that trusted God at every season of life, every stage of life, that Caleb is trusting God. He, the older Caleb got, the more he just pressed into God, the more that he just trusted him. And, and Caleb was trusting God with his, his life. And Caleb is old. He's like 85 years old. And, and I mean, I mean, he has a lot of miles on him. He's made a few lips, laps around Mount Sinai, right? And so Caleb is kind of old, but he's trusting God with his life, even in his, his elderly age. And so, so just three things that if you want to have faith like Caleb, if you want to have a life like Caleb, the first one is this, is that you have to come to the place to where you believe God's word. In other words, you have to come to the place that you trust God's word. You have to come to the place that you believe God's word. And, it, and what that means is this, is that when you know, when I know that we believe God's word, is when we're, we, when we're willing to take his word and to read it and to apply it to our life. We're willing to make application into our life. And so you and I can know that when we really don't believe some parts of scripture, when we're, when we're resistant or when we don't want to take that scripture and apply it to our life, we really don't believe it. And so Caleb was one of these guys that he just believed God's word. He believed God's word. He believed God's promises. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read, I'm going to read from 4 to 10 as we get a glimpse, and we'll make some principles. So here, here's what the Scripture says. The descendants of Joseph had become two separate tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the Levites were given no land at all. Only towns to live in with surrounding pasture lands for the livestock and all their possessions. So the land was distributed in strict accordance with the Lord's command to Moses. A de delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb said to Joshua, so, so all of a sudden you see the first glimpse. It's 45 years after God had given Caleb the promise. Caleb promise, uh, trusted God regardless of how long it took. And so all of a sudden you see where Caleb begins standing on God's word. Remember what the Lord said to Moses. 
the man of God, about you and me and, and when we were in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an, I just gave an honest report. I spoke the truth. I didn't let circumstances deal with it. I didn't say what was politically correct. I wasn't saying what the majority had said. I didn't say what the other ten had said. I gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people. In other words, they gave a bad report from entering the promised land. Isn't that so encouraging? See, Caleb walked with God. Caleb's trust was in God and not in people. And you know one of the ways we know that? is because he didn't trash the other ten. He didn't trash the other ten and call them names because they didn't trust God. He didn't trash the other ten and, and criticize them and gossip about them and slander them and all of those other things because they didn't trust God. He still referred to them as my brothers. I mean, he showed them respect. Because, see, Caleb's trust was not in people. Caleb's trust was not in the giants and wasn't in circumstances. See, real freedom comes in life when your trust is in God and God alone. People no longer control you like they once did. You don't have to trash anybody. You don't have to criticize anybody because your strength is not in popular opinion. Your strength is not in what other people are saying about you. Your strength is not in any of that. See, Caleb lived a life of great confidence because he knew where his strength was. His strength wasn't in anything other than than God. And so he says, for my part, okay, so, so this is what I did. I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. And wholeheartedly in the Hebrew means Everything that is within you, every emotion, every strength. So the day uh, Moses Solomon promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land that your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord your God. So, okay, so it is true what Scripture says that there is a cost to not trusting God. There is a cost to disobedience. And so we get that. We understand that. But the other side of the coin is equally as true. There is blessing. Obedience brings blessing. There is blessing to the man. There is blessing to the woman. There is blessing to the girl. There is blessing to the boy. When they are simply willing to trust God's word, to believe God's word, and to take his principles, biblical principles, and apply them to your life. That's why Jesus, one of, his, one of the most difficult sermons that he preached in his ministry, he looked at the crowd as the crowd was about ready to disperse, as they were doing the closing prayer and all of that other stuff. And he looked at the crowd and he says, and you know what? He said, if you're going to walk away after hearing this message and not do anything about it and not take the next step, it would be better if you never heard this message. Because the blessing of Scripture is not just in the preaching. The blessing of Scripture is just not in the reading. You know what Scripture says and what Jesus said is this. The blessing of Scripture is when we're willing to take his word and apply it to our life. That's where the blessing comes. So yes, it's true that there is a cost to disobedience. There is a cost to not following God. But it is equally as true as there is a blessing that comes on people. They would just take his word and just apply it to their life. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept, kept, has kept me alive and, and well. So my trust is in him as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Can you imagine waiting 45 years for God to answer a prayer in your life? See, we live in a culture that's just instant gratification. And if God doesn't answer a prayer quick enough in our life, we think he doesn't love us, he doesn't care about us, he's forgotten about us. But a lot of times it's in that period of waiting that faith grows, right? 
It's in that period of waiting that you, you press into him and you learn some things about him and yourself. Because in 45 years since Moses made the promise, even while, even while Israel was wandering in the de- desert, even though, even though Israel wandered, I wasn't wandering. Why? Because I knew who I was following. See, I had this confidence. I mean, I believed his word and I believed his promises. And today I'm, 80, um, I'm 85 years old. So it would take 45 years for this to take place in Caleb's life. And for him, it was like this new beginning. For him, it was like this new promise being fulfilled. For him, it was keeping God's word. And it was like a fresh start in his life. And, and so many times, it's so easy for us to get frustrated with God's timing. But God's timing is always perfect in our life, even when we don't understand it. See, Caleb was this guy that had this great strength that he knew how to just stand on God's word. And he knew how to stand on God's promises because he took God's word seriously. And, and so many times it, in, in the culture in which we lived, that there are so many people that, that they know God's will for everybody's life around them, right? They get, they get a word from God for their husband, for their wife, for their kids, for their friends. And all of a sudden you realize that there's a lot of people that they know how everybody else should act and everybody else had to respond. But you know what Scripture tells us? Scripture says this, we're supposed to get a word for ourselves. Scripture says that it's important. You know what? Forget about everybody. You don't have to be the Holy Spirit in anybody's life. I mean, that job's already taken. And just as he was able to speak to you, just as he was able to communicate to you, guess what? He's able to communicate to a husband. He's able to communicate to a wife. He's able to communicate to, to relationships around you. See, Caleb was this guy. He didn't even trash the other tent. He didn't even say, you know what, the other ten, they missed it. And because they missed it, I've been wandering around the desert for 45 years. It's their fault. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. He wasn't any of those things. See, Caleb says the children of Israel, they wandered in the desert, but not me. Because I know who I'm following. And I may not understand God's timing. Listen, great freedom will come in your life when you realize, you know what? I only got to hear from God for me. And I just got to take that next step. See, that's why Psalms 119, 105 is just so huge in my life. And it's one of those verses that, that many years ago when I, when I became a Christian that I just memorized. And it said this. I learned it in the, the King James. And so I may, I'll read it off the screen so I get it right. Uh, but it says, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, to our generation, we don't, in our culture, we don't understand because we got electricity and we got Q-beams, we got flashlights, we got, we got, I mean, we got lights that can like blind people. I mean, I mean, we got lights that it can be, it can be brighter than day at night, right? Not in their culture. They didn't have electricity, they didn't have lights. So they didn't have street lights. So you know what they did? They had sandals and they would take these sandals and they had this oil lamps that they would take and they would strap onto the toes of their sandals. They would light the oil lamp. And that's how they would move about at night. And for them, all they could see, because, you know, a candle doesn't have a lot of candle power, and it doesn't have a lot of lumens, so so a candle doesn't give off a lot of light. So so what it forced them to do, they could only see one step ahead of them. They could only see one step at a time. They couldn't see the destination. They couldn't see the end. And so what he's saying is, your word is a light unto my path. Your word just tells me the next step that I'm supposed to take. The next step that I'm supposed to take in a relationship. The next step I'm supposed to take in Christian life. And see, the reason, let me just tell you. You know the reason so many people struggle with God's will in their life? is because what they're really focused on is the destination. The focus, the prayer is, God, how does your will end for me? 
I mean, how, did, how does this whole deal go down? I mean, where will I end up? If I follow you, God, God you, tell me, you tell me where I end up. You tell me where I end up in a career. You tell me where I end up in a situation. And then I'll decide if I take that path. And God said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, no. You just take the next step. See, that was Caleb. See, confidence in following God is this, is being willing to take the next step and just live, leave the result, leave the consequences up to him. You see, when they went into the promised land, there were two groups of people. And I believe in every congregation, there's two, these two groups of people exist. Fact is, you can go back in the scripture and you can realize that in Jesus' day, when Jesus, when Jesus preached and, and got a group of people around him, that two group, those two groups of people were, existed then. They existed in the children, with the children of Israel, and they exist today. There are two groups of people. There was one group that went into the promised land, and they heard, they heard the promise of God to take the land, but they would not go. There's a group of people that can read God's word, that can hear God's word preached, and it may give them warm fuzzies, and it may make them feel good, and it may make, give all these emotions, but they're just not going to apply it to their life. They're just not going to take that word and apply it, whether it's to their dating life, whether it's to their marriage, whether it's to parenting, whether it's to their career and their profession and all of that other stuff. But there's another group that was there. It was, it was just two guys, 20%. They heard the same promise. They had seen God do miracle after miracle, just like the others. Isn't that strange? They had all seen God do miracles. They had all seen God answer prayer. And there was one group that heard and would not go. There was another group that heard and would go. Joshua, Caleb, they would hear a promise to God and from God and from his word and say, I'll apply that to my life because all I got to do is just take the next step, leave the results up to him because there is a cost when we don't trust him. There is a cost to disobedience and there is a blessing to following him. There's two dimensions of faith. There's the one dimension of hearing the promise of God, and there's the other dimension of the willingness to go, the willingness to do what, what God has called you to do. I mean, the willingness just to know, and how many times have we known this is what God wants us to do in a relationship? I mean, we have known this is what God has wanted us to do in, the life, in our life. And for whatever reason, the giants were so big, the fear was so big in our life. We were just so afraid to just trust him. Can you imagine what would happen in Caleb's life if he had missed this journey. Maybe there's a place that God wants you to go. But it's going to take obedience. It's going to take moving from the group that hears but refuses to go. That hears that refuses to take the next step. To the group that hears. And says I'll take the next step. And I'll do what you called me to do. Because that's where confidence comes from. Can you imagine what, what, Josh, what Caleb must have, must have missed? There's, there's so many stories about Fellowship of the Rockies and, that are just untold. And, and one of these days, we're going we're gonna to get someone and we're going to document these stories because so many of them I just, I, for whatever reason, I haven't talked about. And this weekend, because of the, or this week, because of the week that it is, in 1995, uh, our family and the Dodd family uh, left Houston, Texas on Christmas Day 
we drove my first time into Colorado. I, you know, I'd never, anyway, I'd never been to Colorado, didn't really know where Pueblo was. And we got in the car with our two families and we drove to Pueblo, Colorado. And we spent a week here and went back uh, first of the year. And so we came with the intent purpose just to pray about, just to talk about, just to discuss if we wanted to plant a church here. And we met with a bunch of people that, that wanted to plant a church. And so I was driving around town and we'd talk to some pastors because we wanted to understand the culture and all this other stuff. And so I passed by a church. And so uh, I, I saw a man standing out front, out front of the churches during the week. And so he just looked like a pastor. I mean, you know that, right? There are some people and they just, they just look like a preacher, right? I mean, you can see them in the grocery store. You can see them in a mall. You hear how they talk. And, and you're like, that's a preacher. I can tell. I've never been accused of looking like a preacher. Fact is, when most people find out what I do, they say, serious? You're a preacher? Are you kidding me? And so I've never had that problem. But I passed by this church, and there's a man out there and became a friend of mine. Some of you may have known him. His name was Walter Partain. He pastored First Southern Baptist Church down by Dutch Clark Stadium. And so I pulled, I saw, pulled over, saw him. We went into his office, and we're talking. And so I told him what God had called us to do. Never forget this. Walter and I became friends, and... and uh, and so I, he, so I began telling him what, what we had got to call us to, and Walter got really emotional. And he says, I'm about ready to confirm your call for you. And you guys have got to come. He said, about a year to six, six months to a year ago, God had impressed upon me that he wanted to reach this city for Christ in a different way. And that we have a lot of people in this city that are very, very far away from him. And we need to reach them, and we need to be willing to reach them. And I went to my church, and they said no. And I told them, I mean, I told them this, that either we're going to do it, or God will bring someone from the outside into Pueblo to do this. They said, you got to do this. And I want to be a part of it, however I can. However I can support you guys, however I can pray for you guys, make facilities open to you. I just want to be a part of what God's doing. And I'm telling you, there are always two groups of people, whether it's in a church, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in life. There's one group of people that hear, and you know what? They just refuse to be uncomfortable. They refuse to do that. That's why, man, I, I just love you guys so much. And this, to me, this is the greatest church and the, most, the easiest church to ever pastor. That we can just pack up, ditch services on Christmas weekend, go to the event center, do one service, and not one complaint from you. Because you get it. Because you understand. And I'm telling you, I, you may have heard a lot about the fiscal cliff. I am not even worried about the fiscal cliff. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about the moral cliff. Amen. And there are people. Man, there, I, I'm just telling you, there was a long time, and this may seem morbid to you, morbid to you but it's just me. There was a long time uh, that I... I, I I took the obituary out of the Pueblo paper, cut it out, and stuck it in my Bible. And it was a reminder to me that every day, someone dies in our city without Christ. We should be willing to go to them. We should be willing to walk towards the mess.
we should be willing just to be transparent and honest about our stories. See, faith is responding out of obedience to the promises of God. Is it possible there is a place that you must go of greater obedience that God wants you to go so that things are different than in your life to where you just honor His Word and, and to where you just read His Word and you take His Word and you apply it to your life and, and you just leave the results up to Him. When I went into ministry, that's the promise I made Him. That I never want to be a professional pastor and I never want to be a professional minister. That's what kept me out of ministry so long. That I just want to be able to read your word, just to take your word and be willing just to apply it. Whether it makes sense or not, because a lot of times God calls us to things, do things that are illogical, never calls us to do something that's against scripture. And just leave the results up to him. If you want to, see, you don't live the Christian life based upon feelings. You see, that's what kept the ten out. That's what kept the ten focused on the giants. Listen, if you live life, if you live the Christian life based upon feelings, you will never get your mind, you will never be, not, you will always focus on the giants and the circumstances in your life, and you'll always be defeated. The Christian life is meant to be lived on his word. Where there's confidence, and that, that brings us to the second principle, and I'm going to have to move quickly. Uh, the second principle is this. You've got to believe in his word, because uh, I just believe so strongly in his word and, and applying his word. Second thing is this. You've got to believe in yourself. Now listen, before you say, well, wait a minute, maybe that's some pop psychology stuff. That's, you know, easy believism. That's positive thinking and all of this other stuff. I, I just want to, I just want to help you understand. And we're going to see it in scripture that Caleb actually believed in himself. See, there is a direct correlation between a person's private devotional life and his or her personal faith. When God speaks to us privately, when God speaks to us personally, and we're willing to take the next step, we're willing to do that, or when God answers a prayer in your life, doesn't it strengthen your faith? I mean, when you're reading Scripture, or when you're spending time with God, and all of a sudden there's that friend that you need to call, and you haven't talked to them in a while, and they're just on your heart, and you call them, and they're like, I cannot believe you just called. Uh, we're going through a very difficult... Don't, don't you get off the phone and say, man, oh man, was that cool. Doesn't it just strengthen your faith when you take the next step? See, this, was, this, is, this is what happens in our personal devotion. This is why your private disciplines are the secret walk of the Christians, what Jesus referred to as, that there's this secret walk. When you pray, not if you pray, not when there's a crisis in your life, not only, but when you pray. And he says, whatever you do in secret, the Father sees you. And whatever you do in secret, the Father not only sees you, but he rewards you. See, there is a cost to disobedience, but guess what? There is a blessing to obedience. And so as my personal devotion life goes, so goes my faith, and so goes my confidence in God. And I don't know, you know, I just wrote this. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but as my confidence in God goes, so goes my personal confidence. See, that was, jo- that was, that was Caleb. Caleb believed in himself, but he believed in himself not in his abilities, not in his talents, not in his gifts, not in his personality, not in any of that. See, the reason that Caleb had such confidence, or as some would say, Godfidence, 
Because Caleb's confidence came from God. Caleb's confidence came from the ability to trust God's word, to stand on God's word, and to do what God has called him to do. The reason so many people have so much fear about the future and so much uh, anxiety about the future is because they really don't know they're doing what God has called them to do and God has asked them to do. There is confidence that comes out of that. Look at this, verse 10 out of Joshua chapter 14. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive. So all of a sudden you see where his confidence comes from. God's the one that kept me alive. As he has promised for all these 45 years, God is faithful. Since Moses made this problem, even promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old and I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on the journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country. So now he's claiming a promise. Listen, let me tell you something. I pray God's word back to him all the time. There's about 365 promises in Scripture. And I am reminding God of his promises all the time. Caleb was doing the same thing. God, you promised me this. You see this all through Scripture. So just give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there. Okay, so just, this is just free. Okay, just a little, there's a little bit of stuff here. Okay, so the Anakites are, are, are the descendants of these. And so the, are, are the Anakites were descendants of Goliath. Remember David and Goliath? Goliath the giant? The Anakites were descendants of Goliath. Goliath was nine feet tall. Okay, so these are big problems. These are big giants. Not only that, not only are they big, but they're well, fort- they're well, well fortified. They're, they had lived in well, walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. In other words, where does confidence come from? It came from the promises of God. It came from God, from the word. See, Caleb believed in himself because he knew he was standing on God's word. He knew that he was doing what God had called him to. It wasn't this issue of believing in himself and believing in his gifts and believing in his abilities and believing in his talent. It was, it was this, that he believed God, and he believed in himself to know that whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to take his word and I'm just going to apply it to my life. I mean, God, God, God's promise is this. Listen, let me just tell you, whatever God has called you to do, he will provide. God's will is always met by his provisions. When you're in the will of God, God will meet your needs. He will never call you to a place that he will not provide for you. There's a story told of a really gr- aggressive door-to-door uh, vacuum cleaner salesman. And so this guy was good at what he did. And so he went to a farmhouse one day, knocked on the door. A lady answers the door. And he said, excuse me, ma'am, but I'm here to sell you a vacuum cleaner. Well, she didn't want a vacuum cleaner, and she tried to slam the door. Well, when she tried to shut the door, he stuck his foot in the door, had a bag of dirt that he took out, and he just threw it on her carpet. There's dirt everywhere. And so the lady looked at him kind of shocked, and he says, no worries, ma'am. I've got, I've got the most powerful vacuum cleaner in the world. And whatever dirt this vacuum cleaner will not suck up, I will personally eat. She said, okay. She went to the kitchen, came back with a spoon and says, I have no electricity. Get after it. (laughs) Okay, so you need power in life, right? Man, I'm telling you, your confidence in life... Your confidence in life is not in your intellect and not in, not in your strength and not in your abilities and not in any of that stuff. If so, you'll always have giants in the land bigger than you, right? Telling you, 
Your confidence is in this. Your confidence is in God. Your confidence is in His Word. That's why it's so important for you and I to know His Word, to read His Word. And yeah, it takes a while to start learning and all of this other stuff. But you've got to start somewhere. Caleb's life first was this, Numbers 14.24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. In other words, my servant Caleb, he doesn't live like the rest of the world. He doesn't, he doesn't follow the majority. He doesn't follow the crowd. Guess what? The reason he has confidence, he follows me. He has remained loyal to me. So I will bring him into the land he explored. In other words, there's, there's what? There's blessing on obedience. There's blessing in trusting him. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Okay. To be like Caleb, you've got to believe in his you believe in his word. You believe in yourself. Here's the last thing you believe in him. You believe in the Lord. Verse 12 out of Joshua chapter 14. Again, he just believed in his word. You just hear it. You just believe in the Lord. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember the scouts we found, descendants of Anak, living there, great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as a portion of his land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Because, why? Because there's blessing on obedience. There's blessing on the one that, tr- that trusted him. I mean, Caleb was willing to wait 45 years. So many of us, we give up so quick on the Lord. That's why Galatians means so much to me when, when it says, do not, do not become weary in doing good. Because at the proper time, at the exact time, you will reach, reap a harvest if you do not give up. There are so many people that do not reap a harvest in life in relationships because you know what? You give up. God doesn't make it happen quick enough. Things don't turn around quick enough. God, if you can't do it in a week, if you can't do it in two weeks, I'm out of here. I'll try something else. Caleb was not that kind of a guy. See, there's two phrases that Caleb uses. The Lord is with me. And I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Caleb's trust was in the Lord. His focus wasn't self. His focus wasn't giants. His focus wasn't the situation. His focus was God and God alone. See, Caleb understood that nothing is impossible with God. And the same is true today. God can turn the heart of a wife back to her husband. God can turn the heart of a husband back to his wife. God can turn the heart of a prodigal back to him. God can turn the heart of a prodigal back to their parents. And some of you just gave testimony of that. God can sell a house in difficult economic times. God can provide for you whether we go over the physical, physical cliff or not. He is not bound by a physical cliff. He is not up in heaven worried we're going over the cliff. God can put relationships back together that you never thought he could put back together. God can put families back together. And some of you have written me and told me what God did this Christmas in your family. We still follow a God that says nothing is impossible for me. And Caleb got that, and Caleb understood that. See, Caleb understood that there is God's part and Caleb's part. Now listen, in life, there is your part and there is God's part. And so many times we don't do our part and we don't put ourselves in a position for God to bless us. 
So it was God's part to provide for Caleb. It was God's part to give him provisions. But it was Caleb's part to take the next step. Your word is a light, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And it's our part to follow him and serve him and be obedient to him. And Caleb understood that. And Caleb got that. And he continued to follow him for 45 years waiting for God to do something in his life. I mean, let me ask you something. Are you asking God in 2013 to do something big for you? Do you have some giants? I have some giants that are going to face me in 2013. And I'm asking you. So you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people, when they, when they trust God, they, are, they figure out what they can do in their own strength, and they just ask God to bless it. You know the problem with that? When it happens, who gets the glory? You do. But when you ask him for something bigger than yourself and that you cannot do, like moving some giants out of the way, and he moves the giants out of the way, guess who gets the glory? He does, and your faith is strengthened. Let me ask you, are you asking him? Are there some, are there some giants? Put it another way, the scripture says. Are there some strongholds in your life? You know what a stronghold is? It's anything that has a stronger hold on you than God. It can be a hobby. It can be a priority. It can be anything. Are you asking God? To do just something in your life. That you know you cannot do on your own. Just tell you this. God still does the impossible. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?